Hello and welcome to Renewing Hope Church in Oceanside, California, where our mission is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. We pray that this episode will both challenge and encourage you to love more. And now, here's today's episode. Today we are finishing up the second half of chapter one of the Gospel of John, and today's message is called follow me. And it's about, obviously, Jesus calling his disciples. Uh, Just remember, there's two Johns. There's John the Apostle, who wrote this book, and then there's John the Baptist, who's at the beginning of this book. Um, Quick disclaimer is this is kind of a a lot of information uh, sermon. Uh, I don't expect you to retain all of it if I'll cite a lot of facts, and, but we've got a, a video recording where you can go back and, and check it out again if, any, if you missed anything. But I felt led by the Spirit to go over all this stuff because it's very, very important. And, it, and if you don't get the details, sometimes you miss the story. And, and as we're going to see, there seems to be a contradiction in the Bible at first if you, when you first go over it. And as we'll see, it, it, there's not. Um, but So there's a lot of information just to take in. Uh, I want to highlight what makes the book of John so special. So you've got Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are called the synoptic gospels, and that just means they all kind of tell very similar stories and timeline. And then you have this gospel of John, which is very, very unique and has stories which the other ones don't. And what's great about John is that he gives us this timeline, and and John is the best gospel for uh, a consistent timeline that's accurate. And John also references the Jewish feast days, which are really important because they give us these markers in the timing of his gospel, which we can figure out what's going on. Um, Jesus's ministry, we can figure out from the gospel of John, lasted exactly three and a half years. And that's really interesting because there's a lot of these things that happen in the Bible that are three and a half years. Uh, Elijah's drought and uh, and the Antichrist uh, has a, a reign of terror for three and a half years. And, and, uh, and so Jesus' ministry is three and a half years. And what's interesting about that is it's exactly half the number seven. And seven in the Bible is the number of completion. So uh, in the book of Revelation, it calls the Holy Spirit a sevenfold spirit. And what does that mean? I don't really know. But seven is obviously a part of like who God is. And there's seven holy days, which is where we get the word holiday, which is the feast days. And so we did a, a whole message on this, but this is why this, there was a massive one of these things that was huge that was in the temple that the priests had to keep lit all the time. And this is a representation of the Holy Spirit. And we see this even in the throne room of God. And so you've got these seven candles which represent the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting that God also ordained seven holy days the Feast of Israel, and we went over them in detail uh, before, but so it's, it's Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, uh, the Feast of Weeks, and then you've got uh, Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, you have Yom Kippur, and the final one is the Feast of Tabernacles. So you have these seven feast days. Now, in the feast days, you've got mandatory feasts. So if you're living in ancient Israel, You, if you were an able-bodied Jew, you had to go three times a year to the temple, which was on unleavened bread, the Feast of Weeks, and tabernacles. And what that means is 
you know, Israel is only, a, it's a small country. It only is about a couple hour drive, but to walk most, you know, if you live up north, it's going to take like 30 hours, maybe a little bit longer, maybe a little bit less to walk from northern Israel down to Jerusalem. And so that's why you would, you would travel as a big entourage. And when you read in the Gospel of Luke, they thought Jesus was in the back of the entourage and he was staying back in Jerusalem. And they didn't realize until that night that, oh, he's not with us because they were traveling with, a, with family and a large group of people. So there's these seven feasts of Israel that are very, very important to the book of John. And it's interesting that the book of John uh, lists only seven miracles of Jesus. So you're seeing this correlation of how the Holy Spirit has written this book. And it's also interesting to me that the book of Genesis, which is kind of how John started, right? It starts with the seven-day week. And the book of John starts with a seven-day week. And we're going to see the first four days of that uh, today. We see a pattern of design. Now, what I'm about to share with you is obviously conjecture, and that's a fancy word of I can't prove this absolutely to you, so I'm going off a lot of my own research and knowledge, and I wouldn't share anything with you guys that I didn't think was true. Um, and so as I present this, obviously I can't prove this to you, but, but like I said, I take this position very, very seriously, and so if I'm sharing it with you, uh, I, I believe it is accurate and true. Um, with one exception, there's one date, and I'll show you that it could be a day or two off. Um, so we're going to start with the timeline of, of what I believe is the life of Jesus. And you've got to understand that the Jewish calendar is based on the moon, and so it moves within our calendar, and then it will reset. And so that's why the Feast of Tabernacles could be in you know, late September, and then it could move to October. There's these different times where you'll see the Jewish holy days, they'll, they'll, they'll change in our calendar. And similar to that is Easter. So Easter is based on a Jewish holy day, which is Passover. And so Easter will be different days depending on what year it is. So it's the very same thing. So looking at the life of Jesus, um, Jesus was born on September the 11th of 2 BC on the Feast of Tabernacles. And there's all this evidence that supports that, and we've covered it in the past. But what's interesting about that is that that month is the month of the Virgin. And Chuck Missler did a great study on this years ago about how all the horoscope signs were stolen from biblical understanding and they just perverted it. So when you have this month of the lion and the month of the virgin, right? So really interesting that Jesus was born on the Feast of Tabernacles in the month of the virgin. And Isaiah 7.14 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then this is really interesting. So in, in the beginning of, of the first half of, of John chapter 1, we read this last week, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt is literally tabernacled. It's the same word. So you see that when Jesus came, he came on the Feast of Tabernacles. <clears throat> now, this is the only date that could be a couple days off for me, which is August 24th of 29 AD, Jesus is baptized could be a couple days before, but I picked the date right before his fast starts. So then going to August 25th to October the 4th, uh, this is when Jesus fasted for. This is known as in, in, um, in the Jewish culture as the 40 days of repentance. It's called Teshuvah. 
And when you study this time, it's kind of like Lent, which comes in Catholicism. But these 40 days of repentance have all the indicators that this is when Jesus fasted for. And it matches historically based on his age uh, when he started his ministry, as we'll see. So then October 9th through the 16th of 29 AD, Jesus would have celebrated tabernacles, one of the three mandatory feasts. And then following the Jewish calendar, so on tabernacles, Jesus was born on tabernacles. So when he hits tabernacles 29 AD after his fast, he turns 30, right? And Luke 3.23 says Jesus began his ministry at 30. So it all matches. And then what's interesting is that you have to be 30 to be the high priest. And Hebrews 4.14 says Jesus is our high priest. So as soon as Jesus turns 30, his ministry starts immediately. So after the Feast of Tabernacles, you got to remember that every you have like hundreds of thousands of people that all crowd into Jerusalem because they all have to go to this mandatory Feast of Tabernacles. And then afterwards, you can, you know, once it's done, you can go do what you want. And so John the Baptist apparently has this habit of obviously being out in the wilderness and baptizing, but then he would come to the feast and celebrate it like a good Jew would, and then he would go back. And so after the feast days, you would have large crowds of people that had come to travel from the north and other parts of the country. They would go to the feast, and then because there's this revival going on, they would, after the feast, they would go out into the wilderness to see all these baptisms and see what God was doing. And we see this in John chapter 3. After Passover, Jesus and his disciples go with John out into the wilderness to baptize. So it would appear that the disciples of John the Baptist in the beginning, they lived up north, a lot of them, you know, that followed Jesus eventually in Galilee, that they would come down and they would get, they would obviously go to the feast and then they'd hang out with John for a while. And eventually they would have to go back to work. Um, This is a map of Israel and you can see obviously Galilee's Way north, it's like a two-hour car ride from Jerusalem, but it would take about 30 hours to walk, which would take several days, obviously, to get there. And so there was a Bethany that's close to Jerusalem, but the Bethany and John that we're talking about was a second Bethany that's beyond the Jordan. So you can see it on the other side of the river. And all of Jesus' disciples were Galileans. And they still had jobs and stuff going on. So even though there were John's disciples, they would hang out with him for a while and they would go back. So what's interesting about that is if, if Jesus got baptized in late August of 29 AD, this is not close to a feast day, which means that all of those disciples who would come down from Galilee to get baptized, or sorry, to be with John while he's baptizing and go to the feast, they would eventually have to go back home and go back to work. So based on that, we can assume that most, if not all, of Jesus' disciples did not see him get baptized, right? And we're going to see that in the text. So John 1.26, this is finishing up from last week. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. And even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So he says, but among you stands one you do not know. So John's announcing like, God is walking among you. At this point, on this day one, he's saying, because it's starting a seven-day week in, in the first chapter of John, he's saying, God's already here. He's walking among you. 
I just, I haven't seen him yet, but he's here. You know, it's by the Holy Spirit that he is there. So Jesus has just turned 30. He's finished his fast. And now it's time for the Messiah of the world to be revealed. It's like this buildup. And, and John's kind of hinting that it's coming. But that's what we've gotten to is now it's time for everyone to know who it is, right? Because it's been hidden from everybody. So John 1.29 begins our, our text tonight. The next day, so now we're on to day two, he saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. As we talked about last week, that's technically incorrect. Jesus was actually six months younger than John, but he's declaring him to be God, right? Now, this is a radical statement because why call him the Lamb of God? Like, that's a weird, I mean, we're used to it today, but at the time, this is a very strange statement. And if he's going to take away the sins of the world, and John's making a reference to taking away the sins of the world, well, there's three types of walking animals that you sacrifice in the Jewish temple to remove sins. And that is bulls, goats, and sheep, right? But he doesn't mention those three. He mentions one very, very specific. He says the lamb. Now, if you study Jewish law and you understand how the sacrificial system works, there's one feast day, one of those special seven feast days that we talked about that requires a lamb. And that is the feast of Passover. So going back to the story of Moses, they had to take a lamb and and paint blood on the door, right? Well, what Jewish feast day was Jesus killed on? Passover. So you see this correlation, right? So John's professing. But this is like so radical because there is a, when you study prophecy in the Old Testament, most of the verses that talk about Jesus coming talk about him ruling and reigning as the son of David over the nations, right? And we all like that because we're like, yes, Jesus is going to rule the earth. But they would come across these occasional verses that would talk about the Messiah's suffering, and they'd be like, what's that talking about? And so they would just a lot of times allegorize it and say, well, maybe that's Israel's suffering. Or, I mean, to this day, the Jews don't believe that those verses are talking about Jesus. So this is like so radical because their whole mindset is they're oppressed by Rome. They can't do all the stuff that they want to do as a nation. And they're waiting for the son of David to to redeem them, to free them from the bondages of Rome. And they're waiting for this conquering guy that's going to come in and fix everything. And then John the Baptist says, that's the guy that's going to take away the sin of the world, and he's the Lamb of God. And what everyone would have expected John the Baptist to say was, behold, the Lion of God who comes to rule the nations. Like, that's the picture that everyone had in their head of who Jesus was. And John went completely the opposite way by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So going back to the text, verse 31, this is John the Baptist speaking. I myself did not know him, but for this person I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. So he's going back to like, you know, 40-something, 50 days prior when he, this happened. So he's talking about when Jesus was baptized in August. 
because we're now in October. I myself did not know him, but he who, this is interesting, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. It's another radical statement. So a couple takeaways from this section. Even though John the Baptist was related to Jesus, he had no idea that he was the Messiah, their family. John was sent by someone he referred to as he to go baptize. Now, who's the he? And my guess would probably be Gabriel, the angel. Someone showed up to him and said, you got to start baptizing. Because even the Pharisees were like, why are you baptizing so much? We only do this usually one at a time in a mikvah. And he would know that the Holy Spirit would come upon, physically present upon Jesus. You would see it. Not like we talk about the Holy Spirit, but we don't see his presence. But there's times in history where you could actually see it. Like at Pentecost, when the church was born, they saw flames of fire coming down as like tongues and landing on people. So the sign that John was waiting for was visible. And then also, John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, calls Jesus the Son of God. Now that is radical. Because the Shema says that, behold, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, right? So this concept of multiple gods in one God is just such a foreign concept to them, right? They didn't get it. And, and John gave a great analogy uh, last week to me of, as a family, you're one family. You're individually the family, but you're collectively the family. And that's a great way of looking at who God is. So the fact that Jesus is going to come and take away the sins of the world, that he's the son of God, these are radical statements for any like Orthodox Jew to this day. So back to the text. So verse 35, the next day, so we're now on the third day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by. So just imagine this picture, like they're standing there baptizing. Jesus is just walking by and he's like, there he is. There he goes. Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. John's disciples knew what he was doing. They were well aware that he was preparing the way, which was our last week's message, for the Messiah. And there he goes. So this, I love this. So 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. So in the Bible, uh, hour zero is six in the morning, and as you go, so it's the third hour, it's nine. If it's a six hour, it's noon. Um, so we're at the 10th hour, so it's four in the afternoon, relative. They don't have watches back then, so it's all an estimation, obviously. That's why it says it was about the 10th hour. Now notice verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. The most, uh, most likely uh, identity of the other one with him is John, uh, the apostle. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. And then John puts in, which means Christ, because he's writing to Greek people, right? So if they don't understand the Jewishness, Messiah, Christ, same, same word. So this is radical, because as a Jew, everyone's waiting for the Messiah. And Andrew goes to Peter, who's Simon is his real name, and he says, we found him. We found him. Like, 
come on, like, let's go. And so he grabs him and they drag, imagine Andrew, like, you can imagine him, like, dragging, you know, Simon along, like, all right, I'm coming, I'm coming, like, hold on, let me get my stuff. And, and so, verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible because God calls us not for who we are today, but who we will be. He sees long term. He goes, I know you struggle with this. I know you've got these issues. Don't worry. We're going to fix all that if you'll follow me. Just don't give up. Keep showing up. And we're going somewhere, not just on this earth, but in eternity. You guys are going to see glory upon glory, grace upon grace for all that God has for you. And I just love that Jesus is looking at him and he's just seeing this guy who's hanging out with his fisherman. He's down south, you know, for this religious holiday. And they're just all kind of not knowing what they're doing. And Jesus is looking at him and he's going, you don't know who you are, but I know who you are. I know that you're going to be one of the pillars of Christianity that we're still talking about to this day. Do you know who was the most rich guy in Galilee during the time of Peter? Neither do I. No one cares. Do you know who was the most popular? Nope. Neither do I. No one cares. But we're still talking about this guy. That means if you give everything to Jesus, that's what's going to count in the long term. Not how popular you are, how rich you are. None of that matters. You got to go for Jesus. And I love this because Jesus sees who he's going to become. And Peter has no idea. Now... With this, we seem to have a contradiction in the Bible. So going back to the map, if you look at it, so you've got the Sea of Galilee up north, and they're down at Bethany beyond the Jordan, which is way farther south. Now, when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it says that Jesus called the four main uh, disciples, so Peter, Andrew were brothers, and James and John were, were brothers, and out of those four, he gets his like inner circle of three. So Peter, James, and John that he takes to special things like the, the mountain where he transfigures before them and shows them who he really was. So you've got John the apostle saying they started following him down south, right? Uh, way earlier. And then, you know, because when you read the text, it says, now John the Baptist had been imprisoned when Jesus called his disciples up north. And right now, John the Baptist is not in prison. and won't be for a little while. So what's going on? Well, I'm going to tell you. So the answer is they're both accurate. We're just misunderstanding what's going on. So notice what Peter says in Acts when they chose to replace Judas. So Judas betrays Jesus, and they're like, we need another guy to fill in for the twelve. And so they're looking at who they can get. And so notice what Peter says in Acts 1.21. So one of the men, this is like the criteria for who, who can replace Judas. So one of the men who have accompanied, accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, notice this, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So it would seem from Peter's statement that they were all disciples from the moment we just read. From John the Baptist saying, there he is, and then 
all of the disciples started following him, with the exception of one, which is Levi, who becomes Matthew. He is the only exception to that rule. Everyone else, all the other 11, were already following Jesus. Once John the Baptist says, there's a guy, they all went in and followed him. And so Peter, in Acts, once they need to replace Judas, he's saying, well, Matthew's the exception, but the rest of us were there from the get-go, and there's a couple other guys who were there from the get-go. So they pick somebody who's been there from the very beginning, which tells you that Jesus had a much bigger entourage than what we see in, like, The Chosen and stuff, where you see, like, oh, there's, like, 12 or 15 or 20 people. It was probably in the very beginning, like, 40, 50. I mean, even in Acts, after he's crucified and everyone runs away, there's still 120 people of his disciples in this room when the Holy Spirit comes. So Peter's saying, one of those guys that was with us from the baptism of John, he's who we got to pick to replace Judas. So in a chronological sense, you've got Jesus starting his ministry in 29 of AD in the fall. And then the first six months is like this soft open. And in a restaurant, that's what you have if you're going to open a restaurant, but you've got to figure it out. You know, like make sure that the cooks know what they're doing and, you know, make sure that the hosts know what they're doing. And so think of the first six months of Jesus' ministry like a soft open. So he picks his disciples and he starts to show them like what it's going to look like. But it's hidden. Like we're going to see next week, he does, you know, the miracle of turning water into wine, but it's hidden. He's kind of hiding who he is. And it's not until Passover, the next major holiday in the spring, that Jesus shows Jerusalem who he is. And all these miracles take place. And that's when it's like grand opening, lights, you know, crisscrossing in the sky, like the Messiah is here. And that's when he fully goes all in. So what he does is after that, he leaves and they go out to baptize again, which like we see after the the holy day. And then it says that the Pharisees were coming after Jesus because he was baptizing. And it was around that time that John the Baptist was arrested and they go up to see the woman in Samaria and then they go up north. And when they're up in Galilee and he changes his headquarters and that's when he goes and he's walking by the boats and he sees all these four guys And they were already his disciples. So what's he saying when he says, follow me, when they're at the boats? He's saying, it's time for you to go into full-time ministry. You're already my disciple, but now it's time to quit your job and we're going all in. So that makes it much more human because we read the Bible and we're like, these guys are just working and Jesus walks by and they just drop everything and start following him. It's like, no, there's a a courting process. Just like if you're going to go work at a job. First, you look at the job and you might apply and you might go to one interview or two interview. Like there's a process. And finally, they're like, "Okay, are you all in? And you're like, all right, let's go. Right. So same thing. No contradiction. Uh, That's why John has Peter in the very, very beginning and that the other gospels have him later. But it's it's all just based on the timing of Jesus's ministry. And what Matthew, Mark and Luke are highlighting is that these guys were going all in and quitting their jobs when Jesus walked by. So back to our text. So we're going back to the Jordan River, the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, a couple days after he turns 30. says, then verse 43, the next day, so now we're on the fourth day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee because he's got a wedding to go to, and it's about a two- to three-day journey, and so it's going to take time to get there, right? So he says, he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, I know that for me, I... I clearly remember when Jesus told me to follow him, and I'm so glad that I said yes. And that's 
what Jesus is calling all of us to do is he's talking to you and he's saying, follow me. And maybe you're already following him, but he's saying it hasn't changed. Like, follow me. And for God to ask you to follow him is the greatest honor in the world. We get to learn from to follow God and to be a part of his family. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So they're all Galileans. They live up north. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. So the prophet that we talked about last week. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, I love this. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, whatever was going on with this town, and it's a mountain town that's kind of up on the hill over looking the valley of Megiddo, which is interesting because Jesus literally grew up in the town overlooking where Armageddon will take place. That's what Armageddon means is the valley of Megiddo. It's this big valley in northern Israel where there's all these battles. And so um, it's so funny that he's like, Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So even the town Nazareth has a bad vibe. And I don't, I don't want to name any names in our county and make people upset. But, you know, there's always those certain towns where you're like, oh, there's that... People are kind of weird from that town. So Nazareth is clearly one of those towns. Uh, just so you know, in the other three Gospels, uh, Nathaniel's referred to as Bartholomew. That's why it's like you don't hear him listed in the other, because Bartholomew is more of his like, last name. Nathaniel is his first name. So verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. He's an honest guy, like, we all hate, I mean, Brian was talking about working with someone who's shady, and I, I've had a lot of dealings recently with shady people, and it's so nice when you come across someone that they're just honest. They're just, they just, they're just honest. There's no guile. There's no deceit. They're just who they are. And that's what Jesus sees in Nathaniel. says, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? You know, like... I, yeah, you don't know me. I'm no different from anybody else. And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Clearly, this is a spot maybe he was by himself, out in a faraway place where no one else is around, right? And he's like, How, do you, you know, how would you have known I was out there? And Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You're going to see much better stuff than that, like, like a twinkle in his eye. Like, you're all in because I saw you, like, studying and thinking about God under a fig tree? He's like, you're going to see people raised from the dead and me walking on water. And, like, you haven't seen nothing yet. That's what Jesus is saying. It's like, this is just the beginning. Like, this is going to be a wild ride. So what was Nathaniel doing under the fig tree? Well, he was most likely thinking about God, thinking about the Messiah, and most likely he was thinking about this specific verse in Genesis 28, 12. And it says, And he, speaking of Jacob or Israel, dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So Jacob has this crazy dream where he sees all these angels going up and down. And that's like a famous term in our culture is Jacob's ladder. And so that's what Jacob's ladder is. It's this ladder, right, where these angels are going up and down between heaven and earth. And notice what Jesus says to him in verse 51. He says, and he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened 
and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So what Jesus is saying there is, I'm the stairway to heaven. I'm the ladder. Like, I'm the path to God. Like, you found it. You're looking for the answers to life. It's walking in bodily form in front of you. And I'm calling you to join me. What an honor for those guys. And I think all of us think back to the disciples. We're like, man, could you imagine seeing what he did and being with him? But who knows? Maybe God has some pretty incredible things planned for all of you. Because there's a lot of stuff that's really, really exciting in prophecy that hasn't happened yet before Jesus returns. And maybe you're going to get to see some, some signs and wonders. Um, so Jesus is calling out to you, follow me. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. You're going to want to give up. Everyone's going to point at you and say you're lame. And it's really easy to want to just throw in the towel. It will cost you everything. Jesus says if you want to gain your life, you've got to lose your life. So you have to give up sometimes your hopes, your dreams. You have to be willing to give up everything for Jesus. But if you don't give up, you will see the glory of who Jesus is and who you are in him. You are so-and-so. You will be a child of the living God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are honored and privileged to be following the answer to every problem we have. It is a difficult time on this earth, God. We all go through trials and tribulations, sickness, financial trouble, emotional trouble, God, relational trouble. But if we will continue to follow you and not give up, God, we are going to see wondrous things. So I just pray for every heart and soul in this congregation, God, that you would remind them who they're following. They are not following a myth and a rumor. They are not following some random guru. They are following the living God who formed them, made them, and has the best plans for them. So God, we praise your holy name. We thank you for the cross. And we thank you that you have called us to follow you. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Renewing Hope Church. May God's love for you renew your hope today. And may his face shine upon you and give you peace. If you need prayer or would like to reach out to us, you can do so at our website, renewinghope.church. Until next time.